live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstead, you know who's either really, really happy or really, really unhappy this morning, today? It's, I know who you're going to say. It's the, the girlfriend. girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he made it very, very clear. Well, the, the girlfriend, my girlfriend and I, we bought two together. And then, you no, know, those weren't winners. And the 10 I bought, oh, look, I've got $760 million. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing. And this guy plays Powerball all the time. He's been playing since he was 18, he said. It, it's just amazing. Now, you know, we, we cut it out. At some point in time, somebody's going to ask him, you know, what are you going to do with the money? That's what they always say. And I, just once, wouldn't you like to hear? So it's like 70, $760 million. And say, well, I'm going to spend $759 million on whiskey and women, and the rest <laughs> I'm just going to pee away. You know, something like that. <laughs> you just love to have that. He did say he was going to stay. Stay in West Dallas for now, so you got that. Well, I think he'll probably have his choices of places to live in West Dallas. Oh, yeah. My my guess was that now that's seven hundred and sixty million. That's he pays tax. That's that's the cash that's the full, option yeah, that he yeah. took. So you know he'll he'll be paying taxes on top of that. But the bottom line is, you know, even that's a nice problem to have. So oh, seven hundred sixty yeah. million, even even at that tax bracket. So you pay three hundred eighty million. You're still. You're still not going to have to work again. I, he didn't say what he did, at least so far. We don't know what the job was. But my, my guess is he probably hasn't gone back to that. You That'll know, be the I, first question. Right? Yeah, that's, I know. I think I'm uh, I think I'm going to go figure something out. Seems like a nice guy. And yeah. it, it's... Um, um, he, he also the the TV pictures. I think it probably came across around across the radio too. He was just um, he he was I think shy and kind of overwhelmed by this the, the whole thing. And that's you know we were we had little office pools going behind the scenes as to was it going to be a man? Was it going to be a woman? You know, is it going to be an older person? Was it going to be a younger person? Yeah. What what exactly would that that be? And a twenty four year old guy, and that's great. West yeah. Dallas residents buy it in New Berlin and. Walks away with seven hundred sixty million bucks. I like how he apologized to New Berlin because he knew that they were hoping it'd be someone from the actual city of New Berlin. But oh, right, yeah, well, he better he better be apologizing to the girlfriend. I just can't get past <laughs> that. It's like, well, those were the two that we bought. Those those were the losers. But honey, I, I've got this one anyhow. Um, so anyway, the, the mystery is solved. We have a number of things that we're going to talk about on today's program. Tell you what, let me take a quick break. When we come back, we will get started. I. I there's no there's just no nice way to say this. I have always thought that Bernie Sanders is a nut job. But if there was any doubt about it, that that doubt that case was closed yesterday during a CNN town hall, we will discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back to the show. As we reported about an hour or two ago, Joe Bartolotta, who is, of course, uh, a well-known restaurateur, um, they announced today he passed away last night in his sleep at the age of 60. 
Uh, anybody who knew Joe was, I, I think, touched by his, his kindness and his spirit. Uh, Joe was a friend of the programs. Uh, we did Insight 2017 two years ago. Uh, Joe is one of our guests, and he, he sat for one of the segments. We're going to be replaying that conversation at 108 this afternoon. Um, and Joe Bartolotta passing away at the age of 60. All right. Bernie Sanders is, I think, you know, an unabashed, unapologetic socialist, wants to, let's blow up the health care, let's do away with health insurance companies, let's have one big giant government system. He's against, even though he himself is a millionaire, he's against uh, this consolidation of, of wealth, and many believe that he might be the leading Democratic candidate for the office of president. So last night he's at a conference, a CNN, one of these town hall things, and he starts talking about how people do not vote enough in this country. He is distressed by the fact that, you know, people decide that they don't want to vote. and They don't turn out. So he says we need to make it easier for people to vote. All right. That that's all well and good. And then he goes on to start talking about how he, he thinks that we should make sure we extend in an effort to try to increase participation. We should extend voting rights to various groups of people, including felons. The way the law works now is. In most states, you can, if you are convicted of a felony, you cannot vote while you are either, in, while you are either incarcerated, that is in actually in jail or prison, and then on parole or on paper, what they would call on paper. After that expires, most states allow you to vote. Some states say once you're convicted of a felony, unless your civil rights are restored, you can't vote at all. One or two states allow you to vote even if you have a felony conviction and even if you were in jail. But that is the, the minority. As a general rule, you can vote if you're convicted of a felony, but not until after you have served your sentence and completed your probation or parole. So Bernie Sanders starts talking last night at the CNN town hall, and he says he thinks that's all wrong. He says he believes that we should extend the right to vote to any and all people, and he thinks it is wrong that we do not allow people who are in prison to vote. So he says, yes, I would be in favor. The, the guy that's responsible for the, the Boston uh, Marathon, the bomber, you know, where you had all those people that were killed and injured, he says, nope, I, I think that person should be allowed to vote. Presumably, if Charles Manson were still alive today or Jeffrey Dahmer were still alive today, Bernie Sanders would believe that, yes, that person, Jeffrey Dahmer, Charles Manson, the Boston uh, marathon bomber, the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, yes, even though they are in prison, we should give them the vote. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, th- There is no other way that I can describe this position. And, and by the way, then a couple of the Democratic candidates say, yeah, we, you know, we think this is a great idea. I think this idea is bizarre and it is kooky. And candidly, I think anybody that adopts this particular position, well, it's it's a kooky idea. And if you adopt kooky ideas, that means you got to be a kook. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is the thing we need to do in this country to say to people who are incarcerated now, and I'm not talking about 
I'm not talking about do you restore their civil rights after they get out of prison and, you know, when they're trying to become productive members of society again. I'm talking about when they are incarcerated. Should we be giving felons the right to vote? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know. I mean, I guess it would be easy to make sure that everybody votes because you certainly know where they all are. You could go sell by sell and say, okay, who do you want to vote for? Is this a good idea? 414-799-1620. I, look, I, I think reasonable people can disagree about stuff, but I have to tell you, when I heard this, I thought, man, if this is where the modern Democrat Party is going, you know, we're, we're in a lot of trouble. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. See, this is the problem when one of these sort of ideologues, so Bernie Sanders comes out and he says, well, you know, this is a democracy. We've got to expand that democracy, and I believe every single person has the right to vote. Okay, fine, as far as that goes. And then, yeah, we should not allow, we should not take away the right of felons to vote including felons who are incarcerated. I, I I love this. He says, so I believe people commit crimes, they paid the price, they have the right to vote. I believe even if they're in jail, they're paying their price to society, but should not take away their inherent American right to participate in our democracy. So in other words, let us take the Charles Manson of the world. Let us take the Amer- Boston Marathon bomber. Your actions took away the lives of people who no longer have a right to participate in our democracy, but you should. Hmm, I think that's an interesting thought. I mean, here's the reality is, there are consequences that come with felony convictions, and one of those is that you forfeit certain civil rights, and I think this is completely and totally appropriate. Lucy on the west side. Lucy, hello. Hi, Jeff. I'd like to point out to you that in two states already, felons never lose their right to vote. Yep. Maine and Vermont. Yep. In 14 states, your rights are automatically restored the minute you're released. Yep. 22 states are like ours, um, where you get your rights back, but only after you're off paper. Yep. And 12 states bar you forever. So it's not as completely crazy around the bend beyond the pale never heard of before as you were making out. Well, no, no. It's, I, I say it is a kooky idea, Lucy. And you're right. Maine and Vermont do allow people in prison to vote. But those are the only two states that do. Well, I don't think it's a kooky idea. I personally would make an exception for murder. But I don't think it's a kooky idea because the people in prison still have some interest in how public policy well sure yeah sure sure they do we yeah uh-huh. we, we we want we want you to change the laws we want we want you to vote to let us out of prison don't hold us accountable anymore i, I, just, I, I don't think it's as kooky as you think it is and well, I, I guess i find for murder. I, lucy I, I guess i find that to be that to be scary and i'm i'm sure i thought it was interesting last night even even a lot of the democrat candidates want to distance themselves from this idea i know I know that. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. No, thanks for call. I, I guess I, the, I, I understand. I mean, part of the thing that happens is, you know, when you say this is a kooky idea, the people who think it's a good idea, they don't like being called kooks. But I'm sorry. I stand by my, I stand my, by my position on this. Now, I think reasonable people can have a debate about when should your civil rights be restored. That is to say, 
when you've completed paying your debt to society, when you're released from prison or you're off parole or off of, you know, supervised release or whatever. I mean, I, I think reasonable people can argue, OK, at that point in time, you've paid your debt to society. You're back into society. We want you to become a contributing member of society. Should you automatically get the right to vote? I think that that is something that I think reasonable people can agree or disagree on. I also don't think it's unreasonable the states that say, "Hey, once you're a felon, that is one of the voting is one of the civil rights that you give up." So you know, don't don't burn down that building and don't stick that gun in people's faces because you are going to forfeit certain rights. It's interesting when I was a federal prosecutor back in the day. There was a federal judge named Myron Gordon, and um, he passed away a couple of years ago. And he used to, but before. Before you can plead guilty in court, you have to knowingly and intelligently waive all your rights. And I remember Judge Gordon, he always used to go into great detail to these people who were pleading guilty of various crimes about how they were going to lose the right to vote. And did they understand that they wouldn't be able to vote, et cetera, et cetera. And depending on what state they lived in, they might not get it back for quite a while. And, and you know, because he said, okay, you're giving up an important right. This is something significant, but it's something that comes with the penalty that is attached here. And it was always interesting to me because, candidly, the, I think the, the, some of the people who were pleading guilty, they were kind of like, okay, what, what do I care about voting here? This really, I mean, I care about, am I going to be doing 15 years in prison for the bank robbery, or am I going to be tw- doing 25 years in prison for the, the bank robbery? Bottom line is, I, I think this is a very wacky idea, and you're starting to see more and more of these wacky ideas start to emerge, that maybe they, they sound good in a perfect sort of world. And I understand intellectually you want to increase participation. Uh, there's all sorts of ways you can increase voter participation without saying to the Unabomber, hey, I want to give you the right to vote back. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, speaking of rights that you may or may not be entitled to in the future, interesting story. Stick around. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right. This is predictable, but it is perhaps the law of unintended consequences. Now, let me say this at the outset. I'm not a fan of Starbucks particularly. I just think, I mean, I understand Starbucks revolutionized the industry. And who would have known that people would be willing to spend three and four and five dollars for a cup of coffee? I, I, I don't get it. But, of course, Starbucks is one of these companies that's decided, all right, we, we've got to buy into the, the progressive mantra. We want to encourage our baristas to have social conversations with the customers. And so we're going to encourage them to write stuff on the coffee cups and talk to them, to which, you know, my response was always, I'm in line. I, the last thing I want to do is have, with all due respect, the person that's making my coffee engaging in some sort of giant social conversation with the customer. I don't want to be talking to him about it, and I certainly don't want to be waiting while they're having some other conversation about this or that or issue, this other issue. But but that's that's Starbucks. Now, you will remember that last year, Starbucks found itself in the center of controversy because there were, in a downtown 
uh, downtown Starbucks in Philadelphia, you had two black men who said that they were wrongfully denied the ability to use the the bathroom that they had in Starbucks. Starbucks said, "Okay, th- this bathroom is only available to customers." And some people were saying, "Well, no, that you know, you could go in there, you could use it from time to time. Um, it wasn't just customers, so they must have been discriminating against these two African American men." So Starbucks, in response to that, said, "Okay." Here's what we are going to do. We are going to order all our Starbucks locations all across the United States. All of these are essentially going to become public toilets for people. So it doesn't matter. You managers, you no longer have the right to lock these restrooms. You just leave them open. Anybody who wants to come in can use the restrooms. Doesn't matter if they're going to purchase things or not. Here, this is what we want to do. They're, they're going to be open public toilets for everyone. Now, my, my comment at the time was I will be curious to see how all this plays out if, especially during the winter and stuff, you have people that now decide, well, I don't have to come in and patronize the store. All I can do is I'll sit down and I'll just kind of hang out at the Starbucks and, you know, use the bathroom and wash in the bathroom and just stay there until the, you know, shelter opens up at night. You know, okay, but that's the business decision that Starbucks made. Well, here's the follow-up to this. Starbucks is announcing today that in response to employee complaints, they are now going to be adding needle disposal boxes in all of the bathrooms all across the the company. They they started it with 25 locations, and now they're going to be doing it all over because here's what they are, are finding. They are finding that people are coming into the Starbucks, going into the bathrooms and shooting up with heroin or some other form of opioid or whatever, and they're leaving the needles like on the floor and in the sinks and things like that. But they're coming into the Starbucks bathrooms, and again, they're they're using needles, and they're finding these needles all over. So the employees are complaining. The employees are saying, well, wait, we have to go into these bathrooms, and we got to clean up, and, and we've got there are these needles that, that are all over. And in what matter of fact, in one case, apparently in Oregon, I think it was, one of the Starbucks employees who was tasked with cleaning up the bathroom accidentally pricked their finger with one of these needles, and that led to, you know, a lawsuit and things like that. Now, some people might argue that these two decisions are just completely and totally unrelated. I don't happen to believe that is the case. This, I think, is one of the inevitable outcomes of saying, all right, here's what we're going to do. We are no longer going to exercise any sort of control over the restaurants in our facilities. We're not going to ask people what they're doing. We're not going to restrict the use of the bathrooms to paying customers or whatever. Here, anybody can come in, and we're not going to ask any questions at all. So what are you finding? Now you are finding that you've got, especially in some of these urban areas, the junkies that are heading into Starbucks, and they're they're shooting up. So what is Starbucks response? Is it well, maybe we have to rethink this policy and maybe we want to take control of our restrooms back. All right, that's that's one way you could possibly go. Say, you know, we, this policy was kind of well intended, but it, it's not exactly working out like we had hoped it would be. That's one of the ways they could go. What has Starbucks decided to do? No, they decided to go the other way. So now they're going to be adding needle disposal boxes 
in the bathrooms. All right. I, now, I guess, I guess the idea behind this is when the person goes into the Starbucks bathroom to shoot up with whatever they're going to shoot up with, they... They are then going to take the needle and they're going to put it in the appropriate needle disposal box. Now, I, I don't know. I'm trying to be like a real world sort of guy, and I'm not trying to be too much of a cynic about this. But my guess is, if you are shooting heroin in a Starbucks bathroom, you're probably not going to be too terribly concerned with cleaning up after yourself after you have finished shooting up. And my guess is that needle's still going to be on the floor. Now, it, it does, I guess, make it a little bit easier because the poor employee is going to have to come in and they can like pick up the syringe and they now don't have to just throw it in a plastic bag. They can stick it in the needle disposal thing. But essentially, this is where these policies are, are leading. And instead of developing a policy where you say, you know what, we we have we want to be all inclusive, and we certainly don't want to be accused of discriminating against people based on the race or whatever. But but instead of developing common sense sort of policies that say, well, nevertheless, our restrooms, for example, are for our paying customers, and you know we're going to set limits on how long you can be here. Starbucks has decided we want to be kind and touchy and feeling. We want to sing kumbaya, and we want to be open to everyone. So come in, use our restrooms. Use you know do whatever you want in our restrooms. Leave your needles all around. And now what we'll do is we'll put in needle disposal boxes. Now I I don't know about you, but I guess it would be a turnoff to me. <laughs> If I'm in a Starbucks and I need to use the bathroom and I walk in and there's some guy, you know, sitting in the in one of the stalls shooting up, I, I just I would be a little bit leery of that. But Starbucks, well, they've decided here we're going to make it more sanitary. So we're going to put in needle disposal boxes. Huh. Interesting business choice. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Very sad news today. The uh, Bartolotta Restaurant Group reporting that uh, the the CEO of the group, Joe Bartolotta, who's well known to many, many people in the community, had, had passed away in his sleep yesterday. Uh, less known is the fact that, that Joe had been battling health issues i think for a good chunk of his life he had had juvenile diabetes which is type 1 diabetes that he'd you know been dealing with his entire life he had a kidney transplant uh, a few years ago and actually had adopted this healthy lifestyle last time i saw him he'd lost a bunch of weight looked looked great and had this love for the Milwaukee community and love for life and love for people that I think carried over, and, and you certainly saw it, and you see it every time you, you dine at a Bartolotta's Group restaurant. In any event, uh, Insight 2017, in addition to political figures, we, we brought in a number of people from the community that I had a chance to talk to and and do interviews with, and uh, Joe Bartolotta was one of the guys that agreed to come out and do one of our interviews for Insight 2017 here is that interview from two years ago. It's Insight 2017. I have been waiting for this interview because um, I, I like to eat. And I, I like to eat at a lot of good restaurants. And that means in this area, if you're looking for a lot of good restaurants, you are at a Bartolotta's restaurant. And we are with the empresaria of the uh, restaurant business, uh, Joe Bartolotta. Welcome. Thanks for having me. 
And, and by the way, I'm proud of all those pounds I put on you. <laughs> yeah, that's yes. right. Well, I, they're all deserved and well earned. And well paid for. What, yeah. What, how did you get into the business in the first place? Uh, the restaurant business is an industry of sort of the island of the misfits. Um, you know, many people get in the business, they have a great college degree in anthropology and really don't know what to do with it. So they end up uh, earning money, uh, paying off student debt. They end up in the restaurant business and, and find out that they really love it. And that, so I, I, went, I went through high school uh, sort of a, a loner, um, never went to homecoming prom, never had a date. It's a pretty pathetic story, I know. <laughs> Give me an awe. You know, so, uh, but yeah, I, I really didn't find my way. And, it, and one day my dad said, just start bartending. And I did, and I loved it. Walters on North was my sure. first job. You know, um, started bartending, and I loved it. And uh, I realized that... Um, I was able to connect with people uh, from a hospitality standpoint. So the, fr the first restaurant was the Italian restaurant in Wauwatosa? Restaurante was the first, celebrating our 25th year coming up right. very soon. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I have always been struck by is how difficult it is to sustain a particular restaurant. I mean, just in the last couple of weeks, we've seen Carl Roche's, for example, something that you, you would never think closing. Carl Roche's ends up closing. You, you never hear about you know, Bartolotto's restaurants closing. What's the secret to your success? Well, it's, it's interesting, and I wonder that every once in a while. You know, Milwaukee is blessed uh, at, to have such a vibrant culinary community, um, and and it's just, it's, it's really great to have so many great restaurants and choices in our city. Um, that said, uh, that I said this to the governor on the way out, unlike a lot of other cities, for some reason, our population remains a little bit more static than I think we would all like it to be, uh, meaning if, if a thousand people leave, a thousand people come in. Um, and we don't see a net growth in population as much as I'd like to. So when you open a lot of businesses in that segment, whether it's grocery stores or retail or restaurants, and the population doesn't keep up with that growth, everybody ends up nipping at each other's heels. So mm -hmm. the piece of the pie just gets a little bit smaller for everybody. Um, so it is a challenging market right now. There are a lot of restaurants out there, and we scratch our heads uh, as a group and wonder, you know, how, how do you, how do you, you know, you know, survive in a very competitive market. And but you're obviously doing something right because, again, whether it's you know, Mr. B's or Lake Park right. Bistro or Bacchus or any of them, they're, they've been successful. They don't close. We, we have a lot of longevity in our restaurants, and I think the strength of our business is, is really the people that we have in it. And, and Jeff, honestly, the strategy is, um, you know, opening restaurants for me, I've realized over the years, has become more of a defensive play than an offensive play, meaning that I've never really chased the bottom line as a company. I think if you take care of the guest, you take care of the employees, you take care of the vendors and the community, then making money is sort of easy to do. That's changed a little bit because it's gotten harder to make money, but uh, we focus on the blocking and tackling, what happens and what we can control within our four walls, and and that's really all about taking care of our employees and our guests, uh, buying great raw materials, have, having excellent people cooking it, create great environments, and just focus on the basics. I thought an interesting decision you made a few years back was typically when you think of Bartolotta's restaurants, you think of fine dining. Um, you, you've gotten into, for example, the burgers, like the North Point Burger Bar, which I, I will stop by occasionally when I'm coming up Lake sure. Drive in the summer. What was the rationale behind that? Because that's sort of a departure from what you've done in the past. 
Yes, and, and I'm not going to say it, it was a mistake, but we've realized that um, we got away from some of our core businesses and some of our core beliefs. Uh, you know, there's a lot of noise in the marketplace, and you listen to the noise, and you think, well, you know, the market is shifting. People want less expensive choices and, and a variety of choices. So we tried to deliver in some of our venues a pretty high-quality product at a lower price because Milwaukee, you know, come on, look in the mirror. We're all a little bit frugal here. Uh, and, and they're very value-driven. And so um, and the other thing that Milwaukee uh, becomes a little bit of a challenge, it's really a one, maybe a one-and-a-half-turn town. Everybody really is done eating by 8 o'clock in mm -hmm. Milwaukee. And another market, you'll find people starting to eat at 8, nine, eight or 9 o'clock. So we, we effectively lose one whole turn in our community. And it's just something that restaurateurs have to adjust to. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, you know, we, the key is holding on to good people. Our employees need to see a growth. They need to see financial growth. They need to see uh, activity in our company. And we've been able to hold on to people for a long time because of that. What are some of the future trends? Uh, I just read something that I, I had to scratch my head. I don't know where the information came from. I don't know how factual it is. But, you know, uh, the article I read said that, that within 10 to 15 years, 70% of people will be getting their food either through a, a deli delivery service or a a, a, a a carryout type okay. venue, which you know you see it happening in the in the in the brick and mortar stores, you know, you, and everything's going online, and the young people are sitting on their couches and they go to Grubhub or Uber Eats, and they're uh, you know they want the meal delivered right to them, and so that's something that we're looking at as a company whether we can execute it or not. We've looked at Grubhub, we, we've had some good success with them. Uber Eats, you know. It, it, People don't know this, but they charge 30% to the restaurant tour for the privilege of delivering your food. <laughs> and, and, you know, just it mathematically, it doesn't make sense. What, um, what does Joe Bartolotta do? Now, I, I understand you're a very hands-on manager. I, I'm told that, you know, you're in restaurants checking out things on a regular basis. But on that, that night off that you get, where, do you stay in? Do you go out? What do you do? I have an amazing wife. Her name is Jennifer. And, and many of you know her. She's really dialed into the women of this community, I swear. It's great. And she's, she's a, a really driving force in our community, and I, I couldn't be more proud of her. Um, but honestly, we have, we have three dogs at home. We just, honestly, Jeff, just like to chill out and do nothing. Do you, you cook know? or does she cook? She does a lot of the cooking. <laughs> she eats really healthy, and I hate that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I made the mistake one day of saying, honey, Everything on this plate looks like mush, and that really didn't go over well. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure she'll forgive you. <clears throat> she did. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Joe Bartolotta, Bartolotta Restaurant Groups, thanks so much for joining us at Insight. Thanks, everybody. I appreciate it. And that was my interview from Insight 2017 with Joe Bartolotta. The news is Joe, a uh, vibrant part of this community for a long, long time, passed away last night. He will be missed. Sail on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. I mentioned this yesterday. We got a lot of feedback on it after the program. New report out yesterday 
saying for Social Security, and Social Security is something that uh, people have, have counted on since the Social Security program started decades and decades and decades ago. Well, for people who don't know this, Social Security, even though you'll get a statement every year saying how much you are entitled to, if you retire and assuming your income is this and you retire, then this is how much you can expect per month. I think I, I, maybe people don't know this yet, but it's not like a bank account where there is a separate account where there's a bunch of money sitting under your name. Rather, Social Security is a promise to pay. What's happening is that people who are paying in now, the money that is coming in from them is used to, again, pay the Social Security benefits that are going out. So, you know, maybe, you know, if your father or your mother are on Social Security and you're working right now, the money that you pay in is used to pay for their Social Security benefits. And the idea being, when you get to a certain age and you're eligible to retire and go on Social Security, there will be younger people who will be working, your kids will be working, and they'll be paying in, and that money will be used to go to you. All right, that's the the whole idea. What's happening, though, is people are living longer, and that's, I think, it's a good thing. And you don't have as many young people coming into the workplace. You know, you had the baby boom. Well, you know, the baby boomers had their kids, and millennials aren't having as many kids right now. So that's the dynamic. There's not as much money coming into the Social Security system, and there's more money going out. So the bottom line is this report says that um, in 2020, Social Security costs money going out is going to exceed money coming in for the first time since 1982. Now, that's not an immediate problem because Social Security has a a trust fund that's like $3 trillion. So they can dip into it to continue to pay benefits. But that only lasts so long. And the estimate is that um, right now, Social Security... By 20, what is it, 2034, 2035, the trust funds that we will have spent through the $3 trillion. So it won't be available to pay benefits for people who are still on Social Security or new people coming in, unless you either cut back the level of benefits that people are receiving or figure out a way to get more money into the system. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about one of the ideas that's floating around and get your reaction. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. All right. So there is, there is a problem. You've got to understand this. Unless something happens to change Social Security, it's not going to be around for people who are in their 20s and 30s now. That's just the reality. Because what's happening is more money is going out than is coming in. And you can't sustain that over a long period of time. So there, there's a number of different alternatives. One is you could just let Social Security go broke. I think that is an unacceptable sort of thing. Or you can cut back the benefits to which people are entitled. I think that's an unacceptable thing. One of the other ideas that's out there, and it's not one that I necessarily like, but it seems to me it is perhaps the fairest. One of the things that is out there is to say, Instead of having a cap 
on when you stop paying Social Security tax. For example, what happens is in 2019, this year, the maximum income that you are taxed on for Social Security purposes is about $133,000. Up until $133,000, everybody pays 6.2%. That's the tax rate. That goes to Social Security. Your employer has to match it. But once you hit $133,000 this year, $132,900, after that, you don't have to pay any more. If we were trying to figure out a way to get more money into the system, perhaps the easiest way would be to continue to take Social Security tax out for, you raise the income limit, in other words, raise it to 150000 raise it to 175000 raise it to 200000 impose those higher rates and generate more revenue. Now, look, I'm not an increased tax guy. I'm the guy that argues against tax increases unless it's absolutely necessary. But to tell you the truth, you look at what's going on with Social Security, and to do nothing I think is absolutely unacceptable. Some people say, well, maybe we should scale back benefits or maybe we should means test. In other words, somebody who's paid in all their life, we say, well, you know, if you've got other assets, we're not going to give you Social Security. I don't think that's fair because you've contributed all your life. I think it's been a promise, and you should be entitled to that. To me, the easiest and fairest way is to say, okay, we're going to continue taking Social Security tax out at a limit above what it is now. And I understand you don't if you listen to this program on a regular basis, you don't hear me talking about tax increases very often. To me, tax increases are something that you only do as an absolute necessity. But I will tell you something. If you look at the numbers when it comes to Social Security, I think this is an absolute necessity. And I think the idea of saying to somebody 10 years down the road or five years down the road, hey, you know, you planned on having a certain amount of money at your retirement. Sorry, we can't honor that commitment anymore. So you're going to get 25 percent less or you're going to get 50 percent less. I think that is unacceptable. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do we do nothing about this and just wait for the train wreck to happen? Or do we bite the bullet and say we've got to do something? My something is figuring out a way to get some more revenue in. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back with your calls in just a moment. I will tell you that this should scare the heck out of anybody who's either in retirement now or 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years away from retirement because something has to happen. What we're doing now is not sustainable. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You know, I think if you were to sit down with Paul Ryan and ask him what his greatest disappointment was in all the years he was in Congress, he would tell you it was the inability to, to fix Social Security. Because he's been somebody that's been talking about this for uh, I, essentially his entire time in Congress. But Congress has never gotten the will to do something about this. And now you're looking at these numbers where, I mean, starting next year, Social Security is going to pay out more than it takes in. You can do that for a little while, but given the current projections, unless something changes by 2034, Social Security is going to be broke. Richard in Milwaukee. Richard, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Uh, I agree with you 
that, like you, I also see tax increases as a last resort. And I also agree with you on the need for a tax increase for Social Security. Yeah. I'm 68, so the shortfall probably won't affect me. Right. Um, but as a, when I was working, I recall I was glad to see the money deducted from my check to support people older than me. I saw it as a social contract between generations. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I would now be willing to help out those younger than me. I think this is a wonderful program, mm-hmm. and I'm, I would be willing to see a tax increase for it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll give you an idea. Okay, so Richard, you said you're 68. So I mean, you're you know you're, you're going to get yours. <laughs> you know that's sure. that, that's real. But I, here's a text I have, Jeff. I'm 44 years old. I have made a good wage since the age of 21. It's scary and frustrating to think about how much I put in, and I might be in jeopardy of not receiving any of it back. We need to expand the collection methods. Yeah, that's that. That's the folks. For you and me, Richard. Okay, you know we're we're going to get some. You know, it's not going to affect our financial planning, but it is. It's it's those people in their 20s and 30s and 40s who've been paying into this system for decades who may not collect the dime, and that's not right. I agree. I I know people in the, in that age bracket. Yeah. Now thanks for now again. The, the, the devil is in the details, and this is why it it gets so it gets so frustrating. To me, the first thing you do is again, I I would raise the limit under which you collect these taxes. You pay six percent, but it's capped right now at one hundred and thirty three grand for this year. Once you hit that, you don't pay that six percent anymore. I would raise that limit in an effort to try to raise some money. And I understand that is talking about a tax increase. I just think at the end of the day, that's better than cutting benefits for people. But I'm willing to discuss other alternatives. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jerry in Oak Creek. Jerry, good afternoon. Jeff, I agree with your proposal, but I got one more for you. In fact, I got two more, but I didn't tell, I got one more. I didn't tell your producer because I've, thought okay. about it when I was on hold. Maybe you could raise a 6.2 up to 6.7% for everybody. That way you're not killing a lot of people, only a half a percent, mm-hmm. number one. And number two, maybe Congress could pass a 1% federal sales tax. Mm-hmm. So what, let, let, well, let's not get to the federal sales tax, but let's you would, instead of raising the limits, so you would be oh, I would raise after- the limit. But you, then I'd also make it six point seven okay. instead of six point two. Also, okay. Well, all right. So I think so. I mean, I'd have to put pen to paper and figure out how that that would work. The the political problem with that, and there's political problems with everything that's out there. Of course, the political problem with that is you're going to have people saying, "Okay, this is a massive tax increase, that extra half a percent on people who can least afford to pay." Um, you'd be taking an extra five percent from the people that are making forty thousand. I, I guess I'd, I'd have to sit down and actually see how much extra revenue that you're going to generate. But I, I do think, and this is the purpose of this conversation, I think that everything needs to be on the table because it's, it's sort of like, I don't know, you've got a leaky roof. And you, you keep looking up there and, and you don't like any of the different options that are out there. You know, you can, all right, you know, do I, do I get a whole new roof? Do I bring somebody in and put a patch on this? Do I try to finance it over five years or 10 years? And, and you just end up getting paralyzed by indecision because you can't decide what alternative you want to take. Well, the leak doesn't get, go away. And the leak gets worse and worse, and pretty soon, boom, the whole roof is gone, and then you've got massive damage to your house. 
it, it's sort of like that. And again, we're not, we have time, but you need to have some sort of agreement as to what the best way is to proceed. Let's talk to uh, Jim in West Bend. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Jim. Hey, um, Jeff, just a for my own personal thing, I'm in my early 50s, and I think you can start taking when you're a 62 or early 60s. Right. I'm not sure. Um, so all of us in our in our 50s, if they don't do something about it, we're gonna we're gonna go right away. We're gonna grab it as soon as we can to yep. get whatever we can get out of it, which is gonna make the problem worse. Yep. And and here's just another thing: is I haven't heard one. Uh, presidential candidate talk about this issue at, at all because because I mean, nobody wants to go down this route because you're going to because nobody wants to confront but you're right nobody wants to confront the problem nobody wants to pay more taxes nobody wants to think about reducing benefits or social security so we just kind of put our blinkers on and just kind of blindly go ahead getting ready to walk off the cliff i know and, and let's say just for the just for just let's just say tomorrow president trump comes out and says here's my proposal let's fix this problem it doesn't matter what he could come up with the greatest solution yep. in the world for this, and the Democrats are going to say, "Forget it." Right. I mean, it doesn't even matter. So, so I don't even think the problem's fixable. I really don't. Well, you know, and and that's what happened to Paul Ryan. You know, what Paul Ryan wanted to make entitlement reform, particularly Social Security reform, he wanted to make it one of the, the centerpieces when he was like the majority leader, and, and nobody would touch it because you're, you're exactly right. You know, you, you start, you mention the word Social Security, and you mention changes to it, and you're going to alienate somebody, and then you're going to get demonized in the ads, oh, he wants to take away your money or whatever, or he wants you to have to pay more, and it's just... It's you're right. It's a no win thing. So everybody just pretends that this problem isn't there. And I'm looking at these numbers saying, man, 2034, the, the thing is bankrupt, is, is out of money unless we do something. Yeah, I, I th- thanks for your time. No, thanks. For, right. I mean, and that's it, it's and look, none of the solutions are necessarily good. One of the things that gets floated around is the idea of means testing. Now, I am opposed to means testing. Means testing would say. All right, let's say you are a high, let's, you're 60 years old. So, and you're going to be qualifying for Social Security in the next two years or five years or seven years or whatever. And you have been successful over the course of your life financially. So you've paid in maximum amounts all along. All right. And you've been looking at the numbers and you say, okay, this is how much I'm going to get out of it. But in addition to that, let's say you've been putting away money, you've been fully funding your 401ks or or whatever. So you've got a bunch of assets out there. Means testing would look at you and say, all right, this, you know, you're, you've got money in your 401k. You've got a million dollars in your 401k. Even though you fully funded, you paid all your social security taxes over the years because you have other money, we're not going to give you social security or we're going to dramatically cut back on what you can get. Now, I think that is morally wrong because in that particular case, you are saying to somebody who has paid something in over the years and has been promised that at the end of the day, once you want to collect, you're going to get it. But since you've saved other money, you can't have it. I believe, like I say, that that's just morally indefensible to do. I think it's fairer to say, okay, moving forward, 
we are going to increase the contribution rate that somebody has to make. And again, you have to sit down and do the math and figure out how much money do you bring in if you raise the limit to 150000 How much do you bring in if you raise it to 200000 Like our caller Jerry suggested, how much extra do you get if you increase the withholding amount from 6.2% to 6.7%? But I guess the bottom line of this, if you don't like my idea on increasing the the amount that you're taxed on. And believe me, I understand why you wouldn't like it. We have to come up with something. Doing nothing is not acceptable. Doing nothing is a betrayal, not to people who are on Social Security now, not to people who are going to be going on Social Security in the next five to 10 years, but to people who are in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s. Doing nothing betrays them. And we need to have some politicians. And I think, you know, the caller was absolutely right. It is incredibly aggravating that we're talking about all this other stuff, but we're not talking about how to fix a problem that is going to impact every single one of us potentially at some point in time. Just say it. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, coming up in about 15 minutes, when did it become wrong to ask if somebody is a citizen? Stick around. It's an interesting conversation. Before we move from the question of Social Security, I I did want to double back on something because I'm getting a a number of tweets. And I I understand this is an area that is is somewhat confusing. Social Security, really, it's two programs. One is the program for retirees. And that is the one that affects almost all of us. As a general rule, you're eligible to start collecting Social Security at the age of 62. And you got full retirement age, which comes around 66. And then, you know, you can withhold benefits till 70. Um, there's some exceptions. For example, if you qualify for survivor's benefits because you had a spouse that passed away, you might be able to start collecting at 60. That, that retiree benefit program, That's the one that I am talking about that is going to run out of money unless something is done by 2034. All right. There's a second program that covers um, people who are, which is disability. It's people who claim disability benefits. That's a, a much smaller section. Last year, for example, almost 53 million people received either Social Security, retirement, or survivor benefits. Your your spouse passed away, so you might be eligible for it. So that's almost 53 million. The smaller portion of Social Security is the disability benefits. 10.2 million people received disability benefits. The disability fund um, is projected to run out in 2052. Okay, so there's... There's more money. The problem with the disability fund isn't as dramatic as it is with the retirement fund. But but bottom line is, I think you need to take a, a big picture look at what's going on, particularly for the retirement fund, and make sure that Social Security, the people who've been paying into it for all their lives, are are going to get what they were promised to get out of it. Because I don't think you can betray that promise. And the people who are paying into it now, we have to figure out a way to make it long-term sustainable. That's only right. All right. Yesterday, we talked quickly about the um, Elizabeth Warren, who, along with Bernie Sanders, is way, 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 way out there to the left. Now, I understand some people might find this appealing, but, but, I mean, Elizabeth Warren 
Again, she's one of those people out there saying, "All right, we we they're, they're trying to get to the left of Bernie Sanders. Yes, we want to we want to blow up the healthcare system. We want to outlaw private health companies. We want the government to take over this, the government to take over that." And, and her proposal yesterday was, I, "I want to take a couple trillion dollars, and what I want to do is I want to pay off." All outstanding student loans that, that are out there now. And the idea being, if you make $100,000 or less, you know, we're going to pay off up to $50,000 of your loan. If you make more of that, well, what we're going to do is we're going to pay off your loans, but you might have to contribute a little bit. So this was the idea. Let's just eradicate college debt. Now, I understand, and we talked about this yesterday, that that has a a somewhat simplistic thing. I mean, if somebody came to you and said, hey, that house you bought or that car you bought, here, we're just going to have the government pay off your loan. You'd be saying, well, of course, have the government pay off my loan. I, I, I love it. The problem, of course, is you can't. There's no free lunch. It's not free money. The money has to come from somewhere. And this is all part of this sort of massive income redistribution idea that's out there that are being promoted by some people like Elizabeth Warren. The idea that there's some people who have too much and there's other people who don't have enough. So, hey, you know, you went to medical school, you want to be a doctor, why should you be saddled with all this student loan? Here, we're just going to make it go away. And if we have to take it from, I don't know, that guy in the other state who really has earned all this money but doesn't really need it, well, there's no problem there. Well, this idea, while having a a certain appeal. It's kind of gone over like a lead balloon among a lot of different avenues of life. And, and the basic one is the whole idea of fairness. I mean, why, if we are going to suddenly start paying off student loans, what about those of you who were chumps who, you know, worked two jobs and already paid off your student loans? I mean, why should we be paying off student loans for I don't know, the person that took out massive ones and has only been paying a small portion as opposed to the people that worked hard and paid didn't take as much out in loans and have already paid them off. I mean, I don't know how far back can we go. I took out loans to go to law school. All right, should I be entitled? Why should somebody who currently has an outstanding loan, why should that be paid off? What about the student loans that I took out years and years ago? I mean, where do you stop? And this whole idea of let's essentially have the government take over all this and let's have free tuition at public colleges where anybody who wants to go can go. You can go anywhere you want. It doesn't matter how long you stay in that college. You want to stay in there for seven or eight years. Fine. We'll have somebody else pay for it. This idea that we're going to have the government take over all this. And I I understand if you're somebody that's looking at a $50,000 student loan and somebody like Elizabeth Warren says, elect me and I'll make this whole thing go away. You want to go, great, where do I sign up? You just gave me $50,000 in cash. That That's great. But the bigger picture is, all right, how sustainable is that? And what about all the people who chose not to go to college or the people who, I don't know, didn't have to take out student loans? Now it's those people that are going to be paying for this. At some point in time, this idea of redistributing wealth only goes so far until finally people stay, well, well, wait, wait a second. Why should I work hard and try to amass money if the government's just going to come and take it away from me to give it to somebody else? I think this idea is a complete and total non-starter. But again, with the Green New Deal and the, all right, let's 
we've got the Green New Deal, and here we want to get rid of airplanes, and we want to have you know this mass. We want to get rid of all the fossil fuels that are out there, and no more gasoline pipelines and anything like that. And and yes, you know we we don't want to allow you to heat your home above fifty five degrees in the winter. All these types of things aimed at revamping American society. Maybe we're ready for it in twenty twenty. I hope not. This is Jeff Wagner. More Jeff Wagner right after this. It's amazing what a few bucks will get you these days. A cup of coffee, a pack of gum, and another exciting playoff run. Giannis blowing it down the lane to the rim and slamming with a left hand. Bledsoe backs up. Tucker is there. Another three-point try. Good again. Rockin' driving down the lane to the rim. Lay it in. Middleton in front of Cephalosha. Three-point shot. Good for Middleton. Bucks playoff basketball on News Radio 620 WTMJ. Did you know that 90% of people prefer a shower over a bath? So make the switch from that old bath to a new walk-in shower from Mad City Baths, Wisconsin's number one ranked remodeler. Need a safety seat, corner caddies, grab bars? No problem. Customizing your shower is easy with installations in as little as one day. Listen to Julie. They were clean, they were efficient, they were in and out, and, you know, I, I was very satisfied with the end result. Call today and ask about walk-in tubs with hydrotherapy and save three ways during our triple savings sale. Save $500 on your new bath or shower. Ask about zero interest for 60 months. As a bonus, receive a $100 Walmart gift card with your purchase. Call one 3 mad city for a free gift with your in-home estimate. That's one 8 Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Welcome back. So glad to have you with us. Allow me a moment of personal indulgence here. One of the, the, the wonderful things about my life right now is after after I got married a couple of years ago, I, I I never had kids myself, and so I've inherited this kind of giant family. And for some reason, they all seem to like me, and that's very, very nice. And so my wife has two daughters, and they come with sons-in-law and grandchildren who treat me. I mean, I consider them to be my grandchildren, and they consider me to be their their grandfather. It's just it's just been wonderful together with all the friends and stuff and um one of my one of my my stepdaughters my 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 stepdaughter amy it's her birthday today it is a zero year birthday won't say which one but if she happens to be listening i want to send out a very very special birthday wish to to amy um again amy and jenny are just uh, made my life very very nice over the last couple years so happy birthday amy all right grew are you a straw guy? When by that I mean when you go to like the fast food place or whatever, do you use straws? Uh, no, not often. Not often. Me, me neither. I, I am not. I am not a straw person. I for and I with the possible exception of and I don't I don't do this very much anymore milkshakes. But with the possible exception of milkshakes, but it, I mean if I'm just going to go to like a burger doodle or something and I'm going to order a, a diet coke, I'm I'm not going to drink out of a straw as a general rule. Now, the exception to that would be if if I'm in the car 
and I'm I'm driving and I'm eating and then then I'll have the straw because obviously I'm not going to take the cap off the the diet soda and then have it spill all over. But as a general rule, I'm not a straw guy. I don't go into restaurants and ask for straws, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, however, I know a number of people who are. And as a matter of fact, I, I know a number of people very close to me who use straws all the time. And as a matter of fact, I know a couple of people who you would used to go. There were a couple of restaurants that just didn't offer straws. And they would, you know, they'd say, and it was always an issue because it would be, you know, what do you mean you don't offer straws? I want a straw. And so a couple of these restaurants that I know that never used to give straws before, well, what they do is they, they now they've changed their policy and they will give out straws upon request. I bring this up because there has been a war on plastic straws. Um, A number of people have decided that it is plastic straws that are polluting the environment because the single-use plastic straws end up in landfills and things of, of the like. They're very, very hard to recycle, even with places that recycle plastic because they're so small. So the idea is the world would be a better place if we did not have plastic straws. The brewers have become the latest organization to buy into that. The Brewers announced yesterday that clear plastic straws that have been available, well, at food stands forever. You know, you go to Miller Park, you order the soda, you get the big, I think they have Diet Pepsi there, and they put the plastic contain the cap on it, and then you get the straw and you put it through. Those straws will no longer be available at, at the food stands. Plastic straws are going to be gone. What apparently they will do is that they will have the non-plastic straws, paper straws. And I never got used to those paper straws. But paper straws will be available, but they will only be available upon request. So you're not going to be able to, again, go to the condiment stand where they've got the stadium sauce and they've got the mustard. You're not going to be able to grab a handful of uh, straws or a straw. What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to say, can I have a straw? And then they're not going to give you one of the plastic straws. They are going to give you a paper straw. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think policies like this have the potential for creating a huge customer backlash. Now, look, I understand if you want to cut down on the use of plastic, I think it is perfectly reasonable to say, all right, we're going to take away the dispensers, all right? But at the same time, I think that there's a lot of people out there who aren't ready to give up their plastic straws. And to say that you no longer have the option of being able to get one of those, well, I think a lot of customers, and I'm not a straw guy, but I think a lot of customers aren't going to be happy with that decision. Just like, like I say, I know a series of restaurants that tried to get rid of the plastic straws and weren't able to do it because of customer backlash. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, obviously, businesses can do what they want. I mean, that that's the choice. You don't have an obligation legally to offer plastic straws. But have we reached this point where... Essentially, we need to get plastic straws out of society. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you, unlike me, happen to be a straw user, is is the fact that whether it's Miller Park or other restaurants, 
Is it a big deal that these straws are going away? Are we overreacting to concerns about the environment? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a minute. Gru is lining up the calls. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. This is going to be an interesting conversation. Pam in McGuanago. Pam, good afternoon. Hi, how are you, Jeff? Real well, thank you. Okay, there's this war on these plastic straws. Miller Park is the latest one to say we're not going to have them out there anymore. Is this the way to go? I don't think so. Um, I was just at Miller Park the other day, the only time I lost, I think. (laughs) And it was nice having a cover and a straw and a soda. I volunteer at the Pfizer Forum. Now, I don't know if you've talked about this. I listen to you often, but not religiously every day. But the Pfizer Forum has open soda cups, 24-ounce, 28-ounce, and they have no covers and no straws at all. And I just volunteer there, and people complain to us every single day. And they're paying a lot for a soda. Well, yeah. I I mean, see, that's – I mean, the only time I use a straw would be, again, if I'm going – if I get a 20-ounce soda or a 28-ounce soda and I, I want a cover on it, it, like if I'm in the car, I, I want a cover on it and I want the straw. Um, I yeah, Sitting at, at the Pfizer Forum, for example, you got to have a straw at that point in time. I guess the question becomes, could you use the paper straw? But I think there's a lot of us who just don't like paper straws. Right, right. But they don't have they don't any have straws at all at Pfizer, huh? None. And uh, there's no explanation as to why they don't. And then during concerts, everything has to go in a cup. They won't even serve the, the cans or anything. Well, I think they're afraid they're going to throw the bottles or cans on the stage. Well, see, that is that that is the interesting irony, and I, I want to kind of throw this out there. Okay, we're we're going to ban the plastic straws, but we're going to continue to sell beer in plastic cups. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I get, yeah. I, 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 you know, it's like okay, all right. We're, it's, I mean, it, it seems to me the question should be: Are plastics so bad for the environment that we we can't have them anymore? That we you shouldn't be able to have a plastic milk jug. I mean, is that the type of thing that's out there, or do we just say? All right, how do we deal with it? Now, thanks for calling. Now, I mean, I understand cutting back. See, I, like I say, I get the idea if you say straws are only available on request. All right, that, that to me makes sense. 414-799-1620. Here's a text. Jeff, I do use a straw. I cannot stand the cardboard straws. Drinking from the cardboard straws are terrible. All right, well, get used to it because I think that's the future. Lori in Oconomowoc. Hi, Lori. You're on WTMJ. Hey, um, I was just out in California. They use paper straws. I'm, I'm glad to see it. It's a start. We got to start somewhere and people are spoiled and this is ridiculous. I should, I would love to ban plastic, styrofoam, all of it. What's okay, wrong let, with people? Well, okay. Well, let me, let me stop. You would love to ban plastic. So you would, so no more plastic milk cartons. Uh, disposable at all the stadiums, at all the events. It's okay. unnecessary. It's a waste. It's what? just. Well, what about, um, okay, what about, like, the plastic beer cups? Would you do away with those? I would, yes. There's nothing wrong with paper. And completely do away with styrofoam forever. Okay, so so no more, no, if you want your, if you want your coffee in that styrofoam cup or something like that, nope. no more of that. Nope. Hey, tell me why. Grow up. Tell- Grow up. Learn better. Start thinking about what it's doing to the earth. Well, what is it I've doing to the earth? It ends up in a landfill. Exactly. And it just it doesn't disintegrate for years and years and years. Bring back hemp. Great product. Disintegrates. Well, okay, but you're you're not going to put your coffee in in a hemp container. Well, I don't know why you can't. Well, uh, well, make it a little faster. It doesn't have to be that hot. Well, uh, okay. Thanks. I, I, I guess I don't know. 
I don't know what to say to that. I mean, I look, I, I understand. I, I understand if you want to say straws are difficult to recycle, they, they don't get captured, and they're more likely to end up in the ocean or something, although I'm not sure that's necessarily the case in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I, I understand how you can maybe make that argument. If you want to go that next step, though, and say, okay, we're, we're not going to have any plastic stuff a, at all. You know, get no more plastic milk cartons, no more plastic beer cups. We're just not going to have plastic. I, I think at some point in time, it's not a question of growing up. It's it's more of a question of saying, all right, there are certain modern conveniences that are out there. And, yes, I'm one of these guys who believes that you should have the option of being able to still get a plastic bag if you choose. And that comes from the perspective of somebody who almost always takes paper instead of plastic. 414-799-1620. Let's see. Steven in West Dallas. Steven, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey there. What do you think? I, I Like I was talking before, I've got a couple opinions on it. But more moreover than anything, I, um, I'm all for this plastic straw ban. I mean, there's... Plastics are wasted, and there's so much waste every year from plastic that is not being recycled. That's not going to break down in the environment naturally for how many how many years of uh, over a handful of years just to mm-hmm. you know shortcut that number. Um, how far would you form- carry this? Okay, plastic straws, um, the stir sticks, plastic straws, stir sticks, and yeah, coffee. Okay, how about milk? How about milk cartons? Milk cartons. I mean, if they're like the. From what I remember, a milk carton being, you know, like a paper or a wax paper. Sure, that's that's. No, that the, but like the down. gallon that's jug, the plastic, the plastic, you know, the the plastic gallon. Thing. I would love for that to be gone. Plastic would be great if it was gone from that. I understand producing it and getting it out to consumers is not the easiest way to do it. But you know what? Glass still works. Glass works well. It's recyclable. As for your comment about, you know, having plastic beer cups. I mean, there. I went to uh, Lakefront Brewery years ago and did the tour. Their cups are made of corn. It's a corn-based material. It does break down, even though mm-hmm. it, it looks like a plastic cup, and it is partially maybe might be plastic, but that's a, a viable option. You know, that can break down, unlike plastic. If Should we be concerned about cost? I mean, for example, my guess is that the corn cups probably cost a lot more. Just my guess would be they probably cost a lot more about than the plastic. Should that make any difference? I mean, you're gonna if you want quality and if you want to take care of the environment, yeah, it's gonna cost something. I we I think that's something we all have to understand. And yes, there are cheaper ways to do things, but cheaper isn't always the best way. If you want a quality pair of shoes, you're not gonna spend twenty bucks on a pair of dress shoes. You might go out and spend fifty. You might go out and spend hundred, maybe two hundred at the most. I mean, if it goes that way in trying to have a quality product to serve beer or water in at a stadium too you can go ways of doing it it might be more expensive but in the long run you're not going to harm the environment and i i i assume without i assume that you would feel the same way about like this plastic water bottles like i'm looking at now you would you would do away with all those absolutely okay so for people who want their water what they'd have like one of those um i don't know like like a glass or like a yeti type of thing or something and that's how we we do it well, yeah, I know. I don't see why not. I mean, Yeti makes great products. They do. Again, pr- uh, a little bit pricey, but you know what? They're going to last, and they work very well. Okay. I mean, so you can get a metal op- option for that too, which mm-hmm. is going to do just as well the job. Thanks, Nicole. Look, and don't get me wrong. I I I like the Yeti products, and I I I love 
I love my twenty dollar Yeti coolers and things like that. And matter of fact, at, at home, I I'm I'm very good about this. At, at home, I drink my coffee out of one of those like Yeti coffee cups, and every night if I have my diet soda, that comes out of that. And we actually, because my wife feels this way, I mean, we rarely use plastic plates and things like that. But at the same time. It is it is a modern convenience that are out there. So this is, I guess, the fundamental question. Are we at this point now where we want to do away with the, the plastic type of stuff? Now, I will tell you, if you're going after the straws, it seems to me you got to also go after the beer cups. you got to also go after the paper plates and all those types of things. I mean, are we at a point now where, you know, we want to get rid of plastic? Tony on in Brookfield. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hey there, Jeff. Hi, Tony. Hey, the, the gentleman was right. There are corn and there's also sugarcane-based ones. And they're, they're maybe about 10% more expensive um, than the plastic ones are. Um, the paper ones are maybe about 5% more than the plastic ones are as far as cost goes. Um, but the um, those biodegradable ones are a significantly better product than the paper mm-hmm. um, straws. Um, and and like, like he was saying, actually, I, I do think that... Um, the brewers have done some stuff with their with their cups in do, regards to. Do you uh, think plastic should be outlawed? No, I, I just yeah, said we were I talking about. I, I, I don't think it should be outlawed. I think it should be optional. I okay. Guess. All right. Give people the choice. Okay. Well, thanks. And see, and I guess that's look. First of all, the brewers get to, to get to do what they want, and if there's if if you don't like drinking the diet Pepsi out of a cardboard straw. Well, or, you know, drinking it without a straw at all. You have every right to tell them that and complain. And if enough people complain, you know, maybe they'll change their policy or, or maybe they won't or, or don't buy the soda. So, I mean, it, it's a, it's an individual business choice. And I never fault businesses for making those type of choices. What I think is interesting is we are moving more and more in that direction where, okay, we, we've got to get rid of all these different types of plastics. I'm just not sure that we're at that point as a society where we're ready to simply do away with plastics, which quite candidly, you know, have, have brought a lot of convenience with them. Now, I understand they don't break down. They go into the landfills. But as long as you keep them in the landfills, it's not that big a deal. The problem with straws and stuff is they don't stay in the landfills. They blow around and they end up in the waterways and things like that. Is that a justification for not having them? Or is it a justification for making sure they get where they're supposed to get in the first place? This, uh, this is Jeff Wagner. It's 227. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, just a quick reminder, if you missed any of today's show, including our replay of the interview we did with uh, Joe Bartolotta, who passed away uh, last night at the age of 60, um, from Insight 2017, that is available on our podcast. I know thousands of people check it out every month. You can simply go to our mobile app our mobile app page or WTMJ.com, subscribe to the podcast, and you do not miss anything. It's actually one of the first priorities that my producer, Gru, does after the show ends. I'm heading out the door, and he's making sure the podcast is there. And am I right? We do the podcast without commercials, right? Uh, yes, that's correct. Podcasts are without commercials. So, all right. So, if you're out for now, I'm not encouraging you to listen to the podcast as opposed to listen to the program on the air. But if you can't hear it on the air, you can check it out for the podcast as well. All right. Now, I want to be real clear here. I have, I have over the last several years, on occasions been in bars when the bars have decided it's closing time you know so maybe it's like one of these where you're in the bar it's 10 o'clock at night 
and you're the only two people left, and everybody wants to go home, so they turn on the lights and they say last call. So I, I have closed bars in that context. It has been a long, 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 long time since I have closed bars when the bars have to close. All right, in Wisconsin, state law says that bars have to close between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m., Monday through Friday, and that's an extra half hour they can be open on Saturday and Sunday. So that's that means Friday night to Saturday morning and Saturday night to Sunday morning. They can stay open until 2.30. That, that is what the state law is. And I will tell you, I say this with absolute confidence, I don't even remember the last time it would occur to me to be in a bar at 2 or 2.30 in the morning, which does tie into, uh, as we do in the intro, Wagner's Rule of Life number four is that nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I think you can make the argument that, in general, nothing too good happens outside of a bar at 2 or 2.30 in the morning. It's kind of like, you know, go home. <laughs> if, if you if you haven't been able to figure out how to get enough to drink um, before two o'clock in the morning, well, you know you, you don't need that extra half hour or so. So, oh, by the way, there are exceptions. New Year's Eve, no closing is required, and also daylight savings time. There there is an adjustment, but in general, bar time is two o'clock most nights, and then on Saturday and Sunday nights, it's two thirty in the morning. I bring this up because. Madison is dealing with this issue that, again, based on my premise, that nothing good happens outside a bar at 2 o'clock in the morning or 2.30 in the morning. And what Madison is doing is they are singling out various establishments in downtown Madison, and they are saying, as a condition of your liquor license, we can't stop you. I mean, state law says you can be open till 2 o'clock or 2.30 in the morning. We can't stop that as a condition of your liquor license. But here's what we're saying. We, as a condition of you being allowed to sell liquor, you can't let anybody new in after 1.30 on Friday or Saturday. So that's the nights that they're open. They can stay open till 2.30. But Madison is saying no new people in after 1.30. The people that have gotten in the door, the people that are drinking at, you know, 1.15, they can stay till 2.30 if they want. But after 1.30, nobody new can enter and everybody has to be out by 2.30. And they say the reason they're doing this is, again, they want to try to control bar fights and things like that. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a good idea? Does this strike you as being a, a good strategy? The bar can stay open till 2.30. State law says that. But Madison is saying, we've got a special rule. We can't tell the bar it has to close, but you can't let people in after 1.30 at night. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this something that's going to solve problems? In other words, you know, the, the people pouring out of the bar, I guess, at 2 and 2.30 and getting into fights and things like that, or does it have the potential to cause more problems? 414-799-1620, and is it unfair to people who are, you know, out and about that, hey, if you're not inside a bar at 1.30 in the morning, you're, you're not going to be able to get into a bar? 414-799-1620. Does this policy make sense to you? I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. 
Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Rocky says, I'm wondering what the Tavern League thinks about this, talking about the policy that Madison is adopting, saying, okay, the bars can stay open until 2.30, that's the state law, but we're, as a condition of the liquor license, not going to allow people to go in after 1.30. And once you leave, you leave. One of my texters says, what about the people who walk outside to smoke a cigarette? I, the way I understand this rule, you're once you're outside, you are outside, because the law, and you can't come back in, the law specifically says it doesn't matter if you've been in a place earlier that evening, once you leave... You're, you're done, and you you got to go home or go somewhere else, but you can't go back into the bar. Does this make sense, particularly in a college town like Madison? Uh, Russell in Lake Geneva. Russell, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Hi. Jeff Wagner. Um, you, you know, I don't know how you could possibly control this, Jeff. If, you know, like a normal bar, if you go into it, there might be one bartender at that time of night, maybe two. I mean, what... Uh, would they have to hire a doorman? I, you know, I, I don't know. They have to lock the door every time. Some, you know, I, I don't know how they could control that. You well, know, how, I mean, let me ask this, but how do they, I mean, how does like a small bar control this a- after its closing time? You know, they've done the last, they've done, you know, last call. They, they've turned on the lights. How do you control people from coming in after that? And, and that's that's another thing. You know, maybe people are, will, would drive a little less at that time of night mm-hmm. because they wouldn't be traveling from bar to bar. I see that as the only plus. I don't just. I don't know why anybody would ever get a tavern just in this day and age. <laughs> well, that no, no thanks for. I mean, I, I think that's. I think that's the. I, I, I look. I I get that, and I, I get all the different restrictions. I I think. I got. I will tell you honestly. I think for a place like Madison, downtown Madison, this this makes sense. I think an ordinance like this would make sense in Milwaukee too. Now, by the way, there's um, there, there's a legal issue that's out there about you know can these municipalities put these type of extra rules on bars? And I'm I'm sure what's going to happen is there's going to end up being a lawsuit, and the courts will ultimately decide. But I, I'm just talking about it from the perspective of does something like this make common sense? I mean, you know, you talk to a lot of cops, and what they will tell you is one of the biggest problems that they have is closing time. You know, when whether it's 2 o'clock in the morning or 2.30 in the morning, and you have all these people, many of whom have been drinking for quite a long time, who pour out onto the streets, and that's where a lot of the trouble starts. Actually, that's one of the arguments that some people have been made about. They've said, well, maybe bars shouldn't have closing time. And if you want to be open 24 hours, well, you can be open 24 hours. The idea being you're not going to have a bunch of drunks pouring out onto the streets all at once. I think this policy discourages people from uh, essentially what's going to happen is you're not going to have as many people in the bars at 2.30 in the morning as you otherwise would. And they've had a problem in downtown Madison. You're gonna, we're talking about a college town. They've, you know, they've had problems around closing times in the street. So this, I think, is an idea, and it's an effort to try to say, let's, let's try to get maybe some people going home or out of, out of the bar scene a little bit earlier. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be milling around the street. That doesn't mean that they might not go somewhere else to drink. But let's 
let's try to disperse that crowd a little bit. Now, I get the downside might exactly be that. Well, it's one fifteen in the morning. I'm kind of tired. I'm thinking about going home. But if I leave now, well, that means I'm not going to be able to come back and find my friends and have a beer. So maybe I'll just be inclined to stay and continue to drink. I get that that's the other side of the coin and something that could potentially happen. At the same time, I guess going back to my basic premise that I started here, which is nothing good happens outside a strip club at two o'clock in the morning. I think the same thing can apply to a lot of a lot of the bar scene, especially in urban areas and especially in college towns. And the truth of the matter is, if you can somewhat disperse the crowd and if you can discourage people from. I don't know, maybe out, you know, staying out till 2.30 in the morning and say, okay, you, you've left, it's 1 o'clock in the morning or it's one thirty-five or it's one forty. you can't get back into the bar. Maybe that will encourage somebody to go somewhere else or, heaven forbid, even, even go home so they're less likely to cause problems. So I think legalities aside, I don't think that this is that bad of a restriction. And, and candidly, I guess I'm not really that sympathetic to the 21-year-old college junior who, well, gosh, I didn't get into a particular bar until 1.35 in the morning, and now they won't let me in. Sorry. I mean, of all the different things that I'm going to worry about, that's not my greatest concern. Speaking of, speaking of bars and concerns, uh, there's an interesting case that's going up to the United States Supreme Court, and it comes out of Wisconsin, and it involves whether you can take blood from somebody who is blind drunk. Here's the deal. This goes back to 2013 out of Sheboygan. Somebody calls the Sheboygan cops and say they saw this guy who turns out to be a 55-year-old man who has six prior drunk driving convictions. They see him stumble into a gray minivan and drive off. About 30 minutes later, police see the guy staggering along Lake Michigan Beach up in Sheboygan there, wet and shirtless. He falls over several times. They track him down. He smells like a distillery, admits he's been drinking. He decided he was too drunk to drive, so he parked his car. Police find the minivan nearby. He couldn't do field sobriety tests. He blows a .24 um, on the breathalyzer. At that point in time, you know, they, they arrest him. What they do is they take him to the jail, and because he is blind drunk, he, he begins intermittently passing out, conking out. Um, so the officers take him to a hospital eight minutes away. By the time they get to the hospital, he's unconscious, and they can't wake him up. I mean, he's just literally dead drunk. So what they do is the officer says, okay, let, let's, let's draw a sample of blood. And they take his blood, and it comes back like .22, three times the legal limit. And, of course, this would be his seventh drunk driving conviction. He gets charged with a crime, gets convicted. So why is this case in front of the Supreme Court? Well, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to decide whether or not you can draw blood from somebody who's been arrested for drunk driving, for whom there's probable cause to believe they were drunk, and is now unconscious. So, you know, they, they can't they can't give actual consent because you can't wake them up because they're so drunk. Now, many states allow this to happen. The idea is there's this thing called implied consent. When you get your driver's license, you are agreeing as a condition of the license to certain things, one of which is 
okay, well, you know, if you if you pass out um, blind drunk, you, you you consent to the to allow them to draw your your blood. Okay, that's that argument. You've got civil libertarians who are saying, oh no no, this is terrible. This man's rights were violated. They shouldn't be able to do something like this without you know tracking down some judge in the middle of the night and and getting a search warrant to allow them to draw the blood. The Wisconsin Supreme Court said no problem here. Um, they had a number of different theories, but no problem here. You could take the blood. The Supreme Court of the United States is now going to decide whether this drunk's rights were violated by taking his blood at the hospital, you know, after he had passed out and they couldn't wake him up. I understand. And look, I, I love criminal law and I love some of the intricacies of criminal law. But sometimes it becomes a debate about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. As far as I am concerned, when you get behind the wheel of a car, you are agreeing to all sorts of things. When they give you a driver's license, you are agreeing to all sorts of things. The car has to be in a certain condition, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you're not going to drive if you've got a, if you've got something on your license that say you have the glasses, you're not going to drive without glasses or else that's going to be a violation. You're agreeing to all sorts of things. And I don't think it's unreasonable to say that if they catch you and you are too drunk to give verbal consent and you're passed out and you end up in the hospital, I'm not too sympathetic. I'm to your rights being allegations that your rights have been violated because they want to give you a blood test. Matter of fact, my position would be, well, you shouldn't get blind drunk and get behind the car, wheel the car in the first place. And if you do, public policy in getting you off the street and determining how drunk you really were that outweighs any interest that you might have in, hey, they couldn't wake me up, so they couldn't take my blood. Just not sympathetic to this particular guy. You can go broke trying to pick what the Supreme Court will do. My guess is the Supreme Court upholds this conviction, um, but that's just my guess. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure and Melissa Barkley have on their minds. Stick around. 